a lot of people, even in this world of content marketing, where everybody's supposed to be a content creator of some stripe, uh, a lot of people still struggle with, with writing. Welcome back to Leading Matters. Today's guest is Beth Dunn. She is the product editor-in-chief at HubSpot, and it's a really cool job. She basically oversees all written copy that goes in and around the product. And listen, she's a fascinating individual. She's very passionate about writing, uh, and she teaches uh, not only um, her, her colleagues but also the HubSpot community on how to exercise better muscle memory for writing and then how to improve it along the way. She's done some, what I think are must-see talks at the inbound conference that HubSpot hopes every year, I'm sorry, excuse me, hosts every year. And really, you're going to get a great insight into how and why the voice of your company matters. And really, from everywhere from you know marketing to sales, to product adoption, to crisis communication. I mean, it is that impactful. And you're also going to gain a glimpse into a very enabling culture that HubSpot has created, basically empowering employees to create around the HubSpot way in an effort to better educate the marketplace. So um, look, there's just so much packed in here. Listen to the whole thing, bookmark it, put it on your next trip in the car. If Creating content matters to you in any way, shape, or form. You're trying to in- enable your sales force a little bit more specifically. You're trying to establish a better voice in your marketplace. You're trying to elevate your message into the marketplace. You're going to want to listen to the next 25 minutes with Beth Dunn, the product editor-in-chief at HubSpot. If you have used any cloud-based software of any sort, you've probably taken for granted the text that guides you through the journey as the user of a product. In fact, you you might have even not read that copy or just kind of plow forward to fight the learning curve on your own. However, if you're a user of HubSpot's marketing and sales tools, you most likely feel like the application has a personality in and of itself and that the communications you receive from HubSpot share that same personality. That the product is more than just some bits and bytes in the cloud somewhere and more of a companion along your journey of marketing and sales glory. And that's absolutely no mistake. And my guest today, Beth Dunn, is a big reason why HubSpot customers feel this way when they check into the tool for their day's work. Now, Beth Dunn is the product editor-in-chief for HubSpot. She oversees product microcopy, paying close attention to the voice and tone, the language that users are seeing every day. She's also the founder and editor of HubSpot's internal newsletter, affectionately known as The Win. And since 2013, Beth talks on writing that she presents at HubSpot's wildly popular inbound marketing conference have become must-see sessions. Now, she spent about 20 minutes in one talk that kind of motivated me to invite her on today discussing the fear of writing and the best way to overcome that fear to become, indeed, a writing god, as it was titled. And it was not only valuable from a practical point of view, but I have to tell you, having witnessed the talk and then watched it again recently on YouTube, it was truly motivating. One of the best talks I'd seen at any marketing conferences that honestly I've ever been to. So I'm thrilled to have her on the show today. Beth, welcome to Leading Matters. Thank you so much, Joel. So listen, I'm going to get started right off the bat here because I, I love what HubSpot does with just about every way they communicate. But, you know, if you, I've had the good fortune of seeing you speak and talk about it, 
But I realized as we were as I was preparing to have you on today that, that maybe my audience doesn't quite know your role and what you do. So can you explain to my listeners a little bit about what your role is at HubSpot and then how you came to uh, lead some of the very compelling sessions at the Inbound Conference? Sure thing. Yeah. Um, right. You had the title right and the description is spot on. I'm the product editor-in-chief, which means that I work on the product team at HubSpot with all the developers and designers and product managers. Um, and I'm specifically on the design team, uh, but it's kind of a unique role. And there aren't a lot of companies who actually have one person dedicated to this role, but it's really just an example of how important uh, brand voice and tone and personality is to HubSpot, which I think is great, obviously. <laughs> um, so my realm, my domain, is all of the copy that a user encounters in the course of using the software. So that includes all the microcopy, as you say, that's on the screen within the software. Um, also, any automatic emails that get kind of triggered by your use of the software, like lead revisit notifications or app updates, things like that. Um, also the mobile app, uh, app release notes, um, everything that's within the product realm, not the marketing side, although I do occasionally write blog posts for the marketing team on the mm -hmm. blog. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a different that's a different realm. Sure. sure. So you, one of the things, Beth, that I find so fascinating about your work is just how prevalent that it is across the product and really how well it seems to reflect and really define the HubSpot personality. And I, I kind of gave that some thought, and I got to imagine that there was a, a point in time. Well, actually, that's the question. You know, at what point did it become a clearly stated priority that hey, product copy is important enough where we're going to pay attention to the voice and the tone of that that copy? You know, it's really been baked into the um, product from day one. I mean, it was Brian and Darmesh's goal from the start to create software that would allow, as they always said, mere mortals to do what previously had been in the purview of um, companies with really big budgets and lots of money to throw around on t high technology um, stuff and people. And the whole point of HubSpot from the start was to um, to allow normal people to just be able to harness the power of the web. And so even before there was somebody like me behind the words, even just the engineers who were writing the words that appeared on the screen were trying to uh, create a, um, a sense of camaraderie with the user, a mm -hmm. sense of we're all in this together. Um, I've heard people say that it's sort of like, um, <laughs> it's sort of like the, I don't know if anybody remembers the early days of the Muppets, um, <laughs> sure. this sort of sense, before it got rebranded, um, but this sort of sense of like, we're all in this together and we're all trying to put on a really good show. Um, and be kind of good-hearted and kind-hearted about it along the way. That's really important to the whole vibe. Sure. And, and I, you know, again, I was an early adopter of HubSpot of Shorts. And I could kind of remember, I think it was right around when I started paying attention to the release notes, quite frankly, on the mobile <laughs> app, right? Because all of a sudden, because, you know, we take for granted, we hit that update. If we're using automatic updates, sometimes we don't even read them. But, you know, if you if you care about your space, sometimes you don't have that automatic update on. So, you know, yeah. I'm one of the types that actually pays attention and takes a look. Okay, should I download this particular update? Yeah. And I start, started to see, um, you know, some of the... Um, kind of the, the wit of the HubSpot persona start to seep through in the release notes. I mean, you know, I, I guess that goes back to that same question is, is you know, how did that become, okay, we're going to actually, because it seemed to me, and this is outside looking in, that I, I could tell kind of when, you know, you were 
put into the role of editor in chief of product copy, and there was a clear was there a clear decision made of saying, yeah, we're going to be a little bit more aggressive with the voice that we use in everything we do around the product, including the product release notes. You know, I don't think there really was a moment. Um, I was I started at HubSpot as an inbound marketing consultant, so I was doing onboarding of new customers, and from the beginning, I was. I was one of the people who kind of stepped forward and said, you know, I'm happy to help because I have a background in proofreading and editing. I used to work for Random House as a freelance proofreader and editor. So I, I was able to say, you know, look, if you need anything, a couple of extra eyeballs on something, make sure you're using apostrophes correctly, that sort of thing. I can be your go to for that. So I started doing a little bit more of that. And then um, and then I started writing the help documentation. This is going back to like 2011, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we tried to make uh, tutorials and help documents sound a little bit more human uh, and not so technical as that genre tends to be. Sure. Um, and then I think if you're lo- really looking for a moment, there was probably a moment back in those early days when um, there was something difficult that needed to be communicated to our user base. Something had gone wrong. And it, that's often an inflection point for companies when when you have to actually, you know, it's not kind of lighthearted, you know, happiness and um, we're all in this together. So we, we are all in this together, even when bad things happen. But when it's not lighthearted anymore and you, you really have to deliver what I call delivering bad news. Um, and there was a there was a communication that needed to go out. And I was given the opportunity to edit that piece of uh, communication and um, still able to strike the right, being able to still strike the right tone when you've got something uncomfortable to say um, and still kind of keep people feeling happy and loyal and like you are actually pulling for them even though things don't always go well. Uh, That was kind of an inflection point, I think, when I was able to demonstrate that this sort of emphasis, really putting some calories behind your product voice and tone, Mm. was really worth doing. Oh, no, that's an interesting story. I, I, as you're you're speaking there, you know one of the things a lot of the the leaders that come on the show talk about is is seeking ways to kind of empower and enable their their workforce to seek out exactly what you discussed right there, an, an opportunity to take the kind of the mission and the values of who we are and inject it into their everyday. I mean, mm-hmm. it seems to me like a good example. I mean, is that something that the, the culture at HubSpot kind of encourages, say, hey, listen, whatever your job might be, mm-hmm. you are empowered and enabled to you know, do things the HubSpot way where you see an opportunity to, to do so. Oh, totally. I mean, that's something that we've talked about a lot internally. And I remember was always a topic of one of, of my one-on-ones it, during this period of time, like say 2011 and 2013, when I was really kind of evolving into this role as my full-time job. And uh, there was just a lot of talk about like, this is my superpower. Like my superpower is in fact um, conveying uh, voice and tone and, and, and kind of empathizing with the user to an extent where we can uh, create that bond and, and maintain mm. that bond through good times and bad. And um, and it's something that I feel really passionate about. And there's just always been a, a very wide open door at HubSpot to, you know, once you find your thing, um, if you can find a way that that really serves the customer, that you can really leverage it in service of the customer and the company, then uh, but all the doors are flung wide open for you to just go nuts with it. So it's been really empowering for me. 
Well, you know, it's it's fun to watch too. As again, an observer is user of the tool, and an observer what HubSpot does. It's been fun to watch that kind of evolution as they become a bigger company. But mm. there's got to be some conflict there sometimes, as far as scalability is concerned. So let me ask you about that. As as, as a company grows and and we find it more difficult to stay true to voice, but also difficult to manage the necessity of a more structured process. In other words, we want to stay true to our voice. Mm. We want to empower people the way you just described. Yet we have to have more discipline and more structure mm. in order to scale properly i mean have you faced that conflict you know over the years because you've been in hospital for a while so you've seen a lot of growth i mean if you face that conflict kind of how did you address it and stay true to the mission of uh you know what you call your superpower oh absolutely there's uh there's always the question of scale um and one of the things that i've done a lot of to respond to that need in, in the re in recent years is um do a lot of internal training uh the academy the folks at hubspot academy have definitely asked me to come in and train their uh, professors on convey, I mean, they've never had a hard time really having a great voice and tone, but sure, just sure. to kind of make it consistent with, uh, with what users encounter in the product. Um, and also it's really just about making things consistent between different teams. There'll be, there'll be a sense of fun, um, on like say the marketing team, but is it exactly the same sense that you get when you pass what I call pass through the veil from being you know a prospect or a lead to actually using the HubSpot software? We want that to be very seamless and very consistent and to really feel like you're dealing with the same people. So I do a lot of internal training. What you saw at Inbound, um, when I when I give those talks, that's that's very much in the style of what I talk about. It's not just kind of here's the style guide and here are the rules that you must follow. The tack that I tend to take, the approach that I tend to take, is empowering other people to discover their voice as writers and their uh, their own personal power as writers. Because it's a it's a hurdle. It's difficult for a lot of people, even in this world of content marketing, where everybody's supposed to be a content creator of some stripe. Uh, a lot of people still struggle with with writing, and so that's really what I do. Is I tend to be a coach and a mentor to people to to learn that they too can write, they too can effectively edit their own work, and and they too can strike the right tone when when it's called on them. So it doesn't all have to go through me, not by a long shot. I love that. I love that idea of, of kind of well, first of all, like kind of removing the boundaries between departments and also kind of coaching uh, one's natural ability because I find that. You know, especially in this world that we're in, uh, you know, with content and creation, it, it seems to me that far too many companies constrain their external voice to the quote-unquote, mm -hmm. you know, communications or marketing teams. I mean, is, is that a false boundary? Should we be seeking yeah. copy contributors in unlikely places? Oh, absolutely. I, and one of the things that I that I talk about, you probably saw this as in one of the talks, was uh, there is probably somebody lurking within your midst who is, uh, well, let's say, a good editor. You know, it's, it's the person who cringes when they see the improper use of an apostrophe. You know, every company has one of these <laughs> sure, people. Yeah. And, and that's a likely source. It's probably somebody who can also help you with your, with your, with your writing. It, it's not that, not that everybody is going to be comfortable taking this on, um, but I think that we can be a lot more open than we tend to be. And there are some people who are straight up and down engineers on our team who are brilliant writers. You know, we, I think we over-categorize people into this sort of left brain, right brain, introvert, extrovert. There's a lot of, I think it's more of a spirograph. <laughs> people, have, people have very different interests and abilities, and, and it's important to really dig in and find out what they are. Now, I love that. And I, you know, this is just, I, I rarely do this, but you know, if you're listening to this, if you're in the car or whatnot, like bookmark that, right? Because this is what far 
too few companies do, is actually seek out those lurkers, those those would-be contributors that have it in them and maybe even want to do that. So I'm glad you, you said that because I see that happen. So, you know, far too many companies just want to kind of box all their content creation in one little corner and never let it out, you know, to see the light of day. And that's, I think that's the wrong way to do it, I think. Yeah, it's crippling you too. I mean, content creation is no joke, you know, it's, no, it's not right. easy even for people who are good at it and who are happy to shoulder that, you know, burden as their full-time job. And many hands make light work. So it is completely in your interest to seek out the people who can help shoulder that. That's great. Thank you for, for reinforcing that. So listen, what about the personality and tone? Again, it comes it through loud and clear in, in your work, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I know that a lot of companies, both large and, and small, uh, get burdened by their approval process. It almost seems more of a pre preventative process than it does really an approval process. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you say to companies that, I'll give you a great example. I was working with a um, the, the company that was literally 100 years old. So they're a very old, conservative company. They, they had one division that was real aggressive with their content development, but the ownership is third, fourth generation family-owned, and they're incredibly conservative. So every single piece of externally-facing content had to go through the, the command chain. Now, that's to the extreme, right? But that approval process exists. I mean, how do you guys deal with it when you're talking about release notes or copy that's going to appear on a new version of, of the software? Uh, you know, what does that approval process look like and how can we expedite that so it stays true to quality but doesn't inhibit speed? It's, it's a struggle for everyone. It's definitely been, um, it was something that we worked hard on ourselves. What, um, what seems to work for us is um, to, as I say, empower everybody to say, you know, you have the power, you, you, we trust you, right? There's, autonomy is really huge at HubSpot. We don't like to slow anybody down with any sort of um, extraneous approval process. And so people have the power to uh, do the right thing and to try to do the right thing. But the thing that really helped us was we, we put in a sort of uh, last resort safety net in our code um, process. So I get it. Um, what we did was we rigged it up so that I get an automatic email whenever a piece of uh, text, piece of language gets uh, added or altered within the code. Hmm. Um, and usually I get to see it well before that, but it's just, it's just a, a fail safe sort of like, oh, okay, that got changed. And 90% of the time I take a look at it and I either say, right, I remember working on that with them. Or I say, well, that looks great to me. I have no, nothing to add or change. Um, but it, but it at least gives me the opportunity to say, ooh, actually that's a little mm, you might want to mm, yeah you know <laughs> sure <laughs> um, sure so uh, but what I, the other thing I wanted to say too is that talking about that 100 year old company, um, I, I know that you were emphasizing the fact that they wanted to have a, a very strong chain of command and control. I think that part of that also comes from just the basic fear of we are a conservative company and we don't want to we don't want to sound otherwise. I mean that is a perfectly valid brand voice to have. There are companies and, and industries, you know, financial services, you know, for crying out loud, they're not going to have the same sort of voice as a HubSpot is going to have, and nor should they. So I think that the same system can work, empowering your employees to, you know, understand and to execute on what your particular brand voice is. And even if that's a fairly conservative and, and buttoned down one, it's still possible to allow people to do that. Sure. Well, let's explore that a little bit, right? Because I, you know, so many people look at style guides and brand guides and 
they they look at the people enforcing those things as like the brand cops, right? But it's an important thing, right? In other words, the voice has to be clear. There's got to be clarity to the employees about what it means. There needs to be examples of what that voice represents and why it's important. Can you talk about the importance of voice and, and, and why do you think far too many companies are are really having a disciplined approach to what their tone and their personality is around their, their written copy? I think the stumbling block that a lot of companies come up against, and I see this a lot in the startup world, is they confuse themselves for their users. Um, you know, in the case of like a hundred year old financial services institution, while it may be true that the people who work there or who built the company are conservative, wingtip, button down types, the reason why that brand voice has been successful is because that's who they're marketing to as well. Um, and what you what you sometimes get in mm, you know, like a HubSpot, for instance, is like if we if we assumed a tone, a voice that um, assumed that all of our users were the same demographic as the majority of our employees, it would come off not quite right because our target demographic is is a is an older or more professional, you know. So so you have to be careful to make sure that you are thinking of your user and not confusing yourself for your user at all. Hmm. No, I like that. I, I like the idea of making sure that line is clearly delineated. So Beth, I, I want to, um, this is, I thought this might be self-serving, but then again, I realized that a lot of my listeners might not have had the good fortune of hearing some of your talks and I'm going to link them up in my show notes. But you know, you, you got on my radar screen when I saw you speak at the 2013 inbound conference. And I mentioned it earlier, it was a very motivating talk. And you talk about just you know, building your writing muscles and getting in the habit of writing. And what I found interesting is the next year you said, okay, now, now that you're like built your muscles, you know, your, your writing might suck. So how do we improve it? <laughs> so right. I like that follow That's up. Right. right? Uh, but you know, first things first, cause it, it's a daunting task for many. Like I like to write, I take it for granted that I, I like to write, you know, I don't know if I'm good or not about it, but I like to do it right. There's some people out there that, that find it daunting or, or even they're fearful of it. So again, for the benefit of my audience, could you kind of condense your approach to what you delivered in that 2013 talk to give them the courage to maybe kind of take it on? Yeah. And, you know, what it really boils down to is uh, two things. One, establishing a daily practice of writing. I'm a huge, huge advocate for that because it is. It's just like hitting the gym. It's just if you don't use those muscles, you won't have those muscles when you need to use them. And so what you need, what, what works really well is to establish a really simple set of exercises. You know, think bicep curl. Um, so that those muscles will be ready when you actually need to lift the overturned car off of a small child. (laughs) (laughs) We can't be running around doing that sort of thing every day, but if you do your bicep curls every day, then you'll be ready. So, um, so one of the things that I advocate for doing is just sitting down every day, setting aside some time and saying, I'm going to write whatever comes into my head, not like for a project, not for a specific goal, but uh, 500 words, 200 words, something like that, or say for, t- for time. I actually like a word count because you can sit there staring at a blank screen for mm-hmm. five, 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so I like a word count. And the whole point, this is the second part, the whole point of this exercise is that there's no editor in the room. There's no editor sitting on your shoulder. There's no English teacher in your head saying, that's not how that's spelled. That's grammatically incorrect. That's dumb. That's not something anybody's going to be interested in. You just move your fingers on the keyboard or use a pen if you're more comfortable with that. I know somebody who does this exercise using crayon Hmm. and construction paper because it's the only way she can free herself up to not feel like she needs to be editing herself at every turn. And that's actually the muscle that you're exercising. It's the get it down muscle without kind of putting the, um, 
you know, the, the barriers up against getting the words down. One of the things I talked about in that second talk you talked about, which I did actually conceive of them as being a three-part thing. So if you look at 2013, 2012, 2014, it's supposed to be kind of a trilogy. Sure, uh, sure. Um, is is what to do once you've got the the bones down. And one of the things I talked about in that second talk is the the really clever bits tend to be shy. They don't show up until you've been writing for a few pages. You can't, there's no shortcut to that. You have to write that 90% first that you're eventually going to throw out in order to get to the good stuff. So it, there's just no other way to it but through it. So. No, it's great. I'm, again, I'm glad I asked you the question because it's your, your passion comes through loud and clear. And it's funny you say, you say that you kind of structured the talks in that succession because I was thinking before we got on the phone here, I'm like, man, these three talks would make a really good book, you know, a really good kind of how-to book on, on how to kind of and get involved in this and do it. So I'm not sure if you have that in the in the works, but, uh, you know, maybe you could... Uh... You should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Am I spoiling some new announcement you got? <laughs> Are you actually working on something? I'm gonna. I'm definitely working on trying to put in written form a lot of what I talk about in those talks for sure. Oh, great! I'm glad to hear that. Listen, Beth, I want to cover just one last thing, and it might be a little bit out of left field, but I think I'll, I'll try to tie it in as best I can. But I work with a lot of SaaS companies, and what I find is that the sales terrain is vastly different than it was even five years ago, right? That the salesperson needs to be the jack and the master of literally all the trades, and they don't have the kind of support that they used to have in the past. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember the enterprise sales days where you would show up with like a busload of, of experts that would kind of show you how the tool worked and how it fit just right for you. And, you know, we can't kind of have that, that, that type of sales force any longer. So I'm, I'm curious if a lot of the, the language that's used around the tool, a lot of the, the help criteria, you know, in the HubSpot Academy, and all of that supporting documentation is helpful to the salesperson as well to help them better understand who they're selling to, but then also the rapid adoption of the tool, right? And obviously in SaaS, the renewals matter. So it seems to me that another area that is maybe not uh, is maybe discounted here is that, hey, if we pay attention to voice and tone and our language is consistent and clear, that uh, our sales team is uh, helped and also the adoption of the tool is a little bit more seamless. I mean, is that, am I kind of reading into that too much or do you think that actually has some uh, value uh, added benefit there? Oh, unquestionably. Yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it, it's definitely the old way. And I'm old enough to remember this too, that the worlds of marketing um, and sales are very separate. Um, and it's something that we've advocated for a, a long time at HubSpot is the whole co concept of marketing, uh, sales and marketing combined, um, so that their goals are aligned. And, and what that does is if you get the sales and marketing people to work together, uh, like on a really intimate basis, then, and really align their goals, uh, which is super important, then they end up talking the same language and they end up giving your, um, your potential customers and your actual customers the same sort of experience and the same sort of feeling, which people have said is, is what brand is after all, right? It's the feeling that people have after you've left the room. Um, and so it's really important for that brand voice to permeate through all parts of your organization. And I would say sales being the advanced guard, you know, the first point of contact that a lot of people have, maybe after they've encountered some of your marketing, uh, is so, so, so vital. So, yeah, it's absolutely important not to leave them out of the equation at all. 
Very good. Great. I'm glad I asked the question. So, so now I'm going to leave it right there. I think that's a great uh, kind of idea to move forward on. And who have you been speaking to? We've been speaking with Beth Dunn. Beth is the product editor-in-chief for HubSpot, and she sees oversees the product microcopy. So literally anything in and around HubSpot products uh, has her fingerprints on it. So I'm also going to post some of her talks up on the show notes here. But above all, Beth, I just want to thank you so much for your work and mostly for joining me today on Leading Matters. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. 